Welcome everyone to the Design 101 podcast. My name is Amanda Gates and I own Gates Interior Design in Nashville, Tennessee. My company specializes in living a stylish and holistic life. My goal with this podcast is to celebrate all the blessings that we receive from a well-designed life. I hope to introduce you to inspirational people, teach you new ways to live better, and empower you to design your best life through intention. There are many ways to achieve balance and harmony in our lives, but it all starts at home. Join me each month to be inspired, transformed, and motivated to live your best life. Hey, hey everyone, Amanda here, and today's guest is Linda Holt from Linda Holt Interiors. Now, Linda and I are friends. We met online via Facebook. We've got a design community that we're a part of, and her and I connected when we went to the Design Bloggers Conference in Atlanta earlier this year. We ended up being roommates, and we hit it off smashingly, and we had a really great time, and unbeknownst to both of us, we had been chosen to be on the design bloggers tour for High Point uh, this past April. So we got to hang out again and, and do, um, we got to go to like different showrooms and whatnot, and then uh, share with our audiences about the furniture lines that we got to go to on this tour. What's really unique about Linda is that she is actually a professional photographer. Um, she lives right outside of Boston in the New England area, and she transformed her creative vision into interiors uh, with an, you know, she just has this incredible eye. And she also is a color expert. So because of her uh, vast knowledge of both photography and interior design and color, she's been featured in House Beautiful, The Huffington Post, and even Elle Decor. She's one kick-ass interior designer. And one thing that most people don't know is that a couple of years ago, Linda was diagnosed with breast cancer. So she went through this entire battle of uh, basically coming to terms with uh, priority and what was most important to her um, and I found that really uh, fascinating and it really allowed her to have like this rebirth in not only creativity but just who she was as an interior designer so we are certainly going to be talking about that today so stay tuned we're going to talk more about interior design and the industry of de design how she got into it and then of course what her day-to-day -day routine looks like and what life is like after cancer hey hey Linda welcome to the show Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for having me on. So let's just dive right on in here. I uh, introduced you in the um, intro and talked about how you used to be a photographer. Tell us a little bit about that and your background, how you got into photography, and then how that translated into uh, moving you over into interior design. Okay, well, it's kind of a complicated story. Growing up, I pretty much had two interests. One was science and one was art. So I always loved interior design as a kid. I know this is cliche, but I was one of those kids that was constantly rearranging my room and coming up with bizarre ideas to decorate it. I have a, a memory of trying to make a, um, a Swiss chalet and I taped posters of the Matterhorn and mountains all over the walls and I dragged up some dirty old cross-country skis from the basement and <laughs> I, I, I tried to and I put like hot chocolate I uh, um, boxes of hot chocolate on my desk to do a Swiss chalet and 
Another time, I, and I was young. I mean, I must have been eight or nine. And another memorable one that I remember was um, I wanted to try to make my room look like I was inside a flower box. So I spent days making these giant crepe paper flowers, really bright and colorful flowers in orange and pink and yellow. And I scotch taped them all over to all four walls and the ceiling. And during the night when I went to bed, one at a time, they fell from their scotch tape <laughs> onto my bed, onto my head, onto the floor. And when I woke up, I had about 40 crepe paper flowers all over all over the floor in my bed. So I, I think of that as my first major install disaster. But We all have a story, right? <laughs> <laughs> But I also loved science and I was, you know, in all the AP science classes in high school. So when it came time for college, I really wanted to do design and my father would have no part of it. He said he would not pay for that. He didn't think it was a good career. He thought it was really hard to make a living. So he really pushed me to go towards science, which is what I did. So my degree is in marine zoology and I did work in that field for a couple of years, but I wasn't miserable, but I really missed the creative part. So I said, okay. And this is when I was in like maybe 24, 25. I said, I'm going to go back to design school and I'll pay for it. And this was back in the 80s. And I looked into design school and it was over $100,000 for four years. And I thought, okay, maybe I won't go back to design school. (laughs) So I thought, what else do I really love to do? And this is a true story. I was coming home from work and I was on the subway coming out of Boston and I looked up where the, you know, along the top of the subway, they had these cheesy ads. And there was one that said, you too can become a photographer in six weeks. And it was like a light bulb went off. And I thought, wow, I love photography. That's what I want to do. I'll be a photographer. So that very night, I went through the yellow pages because we didn't have internet back then. And I found New England School of Photography. And within a month, I had quit my job moved back home and enrolled full-time in a two-year photography program and I worked two part-time jobs and I put myself through photography school. So that's what I did for the past 25, 27 years, but I still, you know, was like a closet designer. I helped all my friends. I was constantly redoing our house. I never lost that passion. And then in 2005, I had one of those life-changing moments. My mom was diagnosed with breast, uh, breast with brain cancer, and she subsequently passed away at a fairly young age. And it was one of those, life is short, I've wanted to do this my whole life. So I had been pretty burned out at that point from running my photography studio. So I closed the studio, went back to school, just a local, little local college, here and went back for interior design and that was sort of how I eventually after you know 30 years finally found my way back to design well and I mean uh, Rachel who I had on the show um, before we were talking about how creativity really does translate in so many different ways right like she was Mm -hmm. talking about how like Um, a lot of people go to her website and they kind of struggle. They want to put her in a box and identify her in in one sentence. And she said a lot of people don't fully understand what it is that she does. And, you know, she said that, you know, she's a stylist and she does interiors and she does graphic design. And 
um, she's a writer and so she said but that's my creativity that's that's who I am and so I could see I mean photography is very creative now I can see how you would get burnt out of it but creativity um, can really come through that because you have to have an eye to do it just because right. you're a quote-unquote photographer doesn't mean you're good at it right <laughs> well I think for it also photography really I didn't realize this till I really got into design, but it translates so well because, you know, when you're taking a photo and this was, you know, I came up when it was just film. So it wasn't like you took 200 images and picked the best one. You had a roll of 36 exposures and you better get it because film was expensive and processing was expensive. So you learned to edit in the camera. So your eye, you know, was looking at what isn't working here, what is out of balance, what color isn't working. So those skills, I use those today when I design a room. I, I look at a room now almost as if I'm looking through the lens. So I can I'm real sensitive if oh that color is too strong or that balance is off or this looks too busy here or this is too cluttery. And I think that is all from my photography, you know, training and doing photography for all those years. Well, and that's an interesting point that you bring up because um, Annette Joseph, um, I believe she's based out of Atlanta, but I went to one of her um, seminars a couple of years ago in Atlanta, and she styles uh, like uh, shoots for magazines. Uh, one of the big ones is Better Homes and Gardens, but that's what she does. She One of the big things that she was saying was that um, a room styled for photography is a room that's different than everyday life and so she because of styling specifically for magazines and and photo shoots that is how she got you know her great eye for interior design and and styling these spaces so what a great talent to be able to have that because you know you can see the room in a completely literally different lens than most designers do Right. And I think that just comes from years and years and years of looking through a camera lens. It's just practice, practice, practice. Well, and you've really come what I love because, Linda, you're also, uh, I would consider you a color expert. You're great at color. Um, but you've really come back around to incorporating photography and you've really found this great blend between interior design and um photography again so what's that been like coming back around to that and and really I mean I've been so enjoying your photos on like Instagram and Facebook they've just been awesome Um, but what's what's that been like for you to come back around to it especially since when you left it you were a little bit jaded and like you know I'm over it I'm on to the next thing you know Amanda it's really funny I almost feel like I don't know the word might be giddy but I'm loving photography again, like I loved it when I first discovered it way back when, um, because I'm coming at it now from such a different point of view and a different perspective. And what burned me out really was the business. I just, you know, running your own studio and the pressures, and I was so burned out that I literally put the camera down and said, I'm done. And now I've had enough time away from it that I'm having a blast and I'm really loving, you know, iPhoneography as they call it. I cannot use my heavy equipment anymore. I have arthritis in my neck from years of abuse and lifting heavy equipment. So I've I've done a lot of, you know, sort of learning how to use the iPhone to its best advantages. 
And I'm just having so much fun with it. And I love Instagram. That's obviously the perfect um, social medium for me. And um, it's just very exciting. I feel energized all over again. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely, absolutely love it. So I'm pretty much splitting my time between, you know, the photography, the design, you know, design for clients and my blogging. So I'm sort of, I'm never bored because I always have one of those three things. And right now I'm loving all three of them. Well, and what I love, and and I said in the intro um, to the show just before we hopped on, is that we met um, via the design community on Facebook, but you know, we we uh, hung out together at the Design Bloggers Conference in Atlanta, and we were both kind of at this point like, okay, we're ready to expand, we're ready to go to that next phase, but we didn't quite know what that it thing was. And I think what is so cool from my perspective is to see you go from that point to really fleshing out taking what you already know but incorporating it into your design business and just seeing like I can literally feel when I'm on Instagram and and on Facebook and when I see these photos I can feel the excitement um, and the passion come back through you which excites the hell out of me like I love that well you know it's funny because I always was like a closet, you know, uh, iPhone iPhone user because I was embarrassed. Here I was, this big professional photographer with, you know, $5,000 worth of cameras and lenses, yet I was posting on Facebook, and we're going back a couple years, just images from my iPhone, somewhat embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know. You know, I just thought at that point that the iPhone was so subpar to, re- to a, quote, real camera and it, when we were at that design blogger conference, and I just heard the tail end of that talk by that woman that gave the presentation. I think her name was Colleen Dunsley. And she said that she, and she is a professional photographer, that she does 90% of her work with her iPhone. You could have knocked me over. I'm like, what? You're a professional and use the iPhone? So that was so eye-opening to me. And I did. I came home so excited, like, wow, I don't have to be embarrassed about this. Look at her. She's photographing for covers of magazines and admitting that she uses her iPhone. So that's when I really started totally changing my perspective and view about the iPhone and the iPhone camera. And since I've been off and running, it's just gotten better and better and better. Well, I think what was so interesting about that talk, because I was on board with you, I, you know, I, I'm certainly by no means a professional photographer, but I do have the expensive camera because I would try to do shoots when I was, you know, doing installations just to try to grab some more magical photos. And I think what came as such a shock to me is when she was talking about how she was a professional photographer for very big, big named magazines and then sharing with us that a lot of her photographs were going for 20 and 30 thousand dollars that she was selling these photos and they were all done with her iphone i I think that was maybe what got it for me too because it it was just one of those what kind of moments and as i processed it i thought you know she's doing it not that i think i'm ever going to make twenty thousand dollars selling a photo but it just opened my it changed my perspective on what I could do and it's okay to call yourself a photographer and use the iPhone and I know you know professionals look down on it and I think I did too 
but it's it's hey it's the new way baby you know everyone's using the iPhone now and it's not an embarrassment that I think I felt it was even four or five years ago to be taking photos using my iPhone like but she made such a good point that like she was finding that she would go on a run at 5 a.m. in the morning and she would see this magical moment or this magical thing occurring in front of her and she's like shit I don't have you know 30 minutes to run back home grab all my equipment and come back here because the moment will be gone but she said I always have my iPhone on me I always have the ability to grab my phone and she said you know, that's kind of how it all started for her. And that really makes sense because most of us do always have our phones with us. Right. And I think some of my most magical photos that have gotten, you know, if you want to measure it by likes or comments have been just spur the moment, you know, things that lighting that you see that is comes and goes within 30 seconds or, you know, just these really fast changing things grab that iPhone, get a quick shot, and then it's over. Um, and you can't do that when you have your big equipment and you got to put the lens on and figure out, you know, if you're shooting in manual, let's see now, what shutter speed do I want to shoot this at and what aperture do I want? And that takes time and thought. And I did that for all those years. And, and this is just so freeing now to have the iPhone. Well, and I think what's cool is that you do have the professional um eye behind photography to really know what to look for and you do know you know all the ISO and aperture and all that crap that makes me glaze over I'm like "Uh uh-huh sure (laughs) whatever Um, but you do have that knowledge behind it so uh, I can see where it really would be freeing where when you are out like you're talking about there's there's moments there's 15 second 30 second moments where you know if you have your iPhone on you and you know how to use it and then in addition to that you have this incredible eye because you are a professional photographer you have the ability and I've seen them I think that's what's so exciting is I've seen these photos that you've put up so for those who are listening be sure to follow Linda on Instagram I mean the moments that you capture are especially the the moments in nature that you've been capturing with your iPhone no less has just been incredible Right. Well, thank you very much. I mean, that I've always loved photographing out in nature, but I and I felt like, you know, that's almost easy. But what has been a little bit more of a challenging for me is figuring out how to take really good interior shots with the iPhone. Yeah, Um, I would agree with that, that it is hard. But I've been working on it and getting better. And, you know, as you know, I've been sharing sharing tips through the blog recently. So I'm just going to keep at it. but yeah, it's it's fun. So I want to talk a little bit about you. I remember when you put the post up on Facebook that you had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And we talked a little bit about this when we were in Atlanta. But um, tell us a little bit about the experience of, I mean, I think what was so shocking to me is that you have this incredibly um, really healthy lifestyle that you lead and live and you get this news, what was that like? For, and you were also saying that you were so busy, but what was that like for you and how has that really influenced your design and maybe even your eye for photography? How has that played a role? Well, as far as the the diagnosis, I think the word blindsided is an understatement. Um, like you said, I 
have always been the healthy one. And if you took a poll of all my friends, I would probably be the last person anyone would have guessed would have been diagnosed with cancer. Um, I have been a vegetarian on and off, believe it or not, for almost 40 years. Um, super healthy. I've been eating clean since before it was even a word. Never did the processed food. But when I got diagnosed, it was it, it definitely was earth-shaking. But my oncologist said something to me that just has stuck with me. And she said, there's no reason why you got cancer. And I had breast cancer. And she said, a woman in her lifetime today has a one in eight chance of getting breast cancer. And she said, you know, just think of it as spinning the wheel and your number was up. And she said, you can just drive yourself crazy trying to, you know, wonder what you did wrong to cause this. And, you know, you start thinking, well, did I eat too much sugar? Do I drink too much wine? You know, all, all the things that, you know, we do that we know aren't great for us. But she said, it's, it's just move beyond that because we still don't know what really causes it. And it could just be a luck of the draw. Once she said that, I sort of took the pressure off blaming myself and just thought, okay, let's get on with getting this, you know, treated, cured so I can get on with my life. Because I was at such a great point in my life when I was diagnosed and it was such a like being knocked off a high almost. So I decided also I could approach it one or two ways. I could sort of be, oh, poor me, I have to go through this or I could just sort of battle it head on with the best attitude I could. And I made that decision to do that. And I, and I feel like I did do that. Um, and when, well, you know, too, because you have also been through very trying times with your health. When I was laying there, you know, on the radiation table or sitting there in the chemo chair, having my infusion, the thoughts that you start thinking, I, I tried to keep that with me. And I, I wasn't once thinking about how many subscribers do I have for my blog? How many hits am I getting on my website? The things I was thinking about was I want to go out this weekend and take pictures. I want to go out and have dinner with my friends. And I realized what was important to me because it really makes you focus on what you want to do when these treatments are over. So as far as my business, I made a decision. I'm not going to seek out clients or situations that are going to bring really stressful times for me. So with client work now, I'm very selective about projects I take on. I'm not going to get over my head. I decided I don't really like major renovations. They just stress me out, so I stopped doing that. And I realized what my strengths were, and that's the kind of jobs I'm going to take, and that's what I'm focusing on. And it also kind of brought me back to photography because getting out in nature and looking through the camera and finding photos really makes you focus on lighting and composition so you're not thinking about, oh, I'm feeling nauseous or, oh, I look terrible because I'm bald. And so I try to fill my day and my week and my time with things that bring me joy. And that's what I've been focusing on since I've been um, done with all my treatments. And you really did it with such incredible grace. I mean, I remember when you shared the news with us and it was like you just went in there and was like, you know, I'm going to kick ass and take names like the, I just need to get through this point. And, you know, like you came out on the other side. Um, it seemed like so quickly and so strong, like ah, pff, that was just a speed bump in the road. <laughs> but, you know, having the experience, I, I can say that um, 
I'm grateful for the experience of having health issues because it did really help put things in perspective. You know, when before all of that happens, you get faced with a project or a, a difficult client and maybe the red flags are there. You know that you shouldn't take it. Something in your gut is telling you not to move forward. And this can go for anything, whether it's a freaking handyman coming into your house to a client that you're about to take on um, to the neighbor who's asking you to go to lunch, you know, and there's just that icky feeling. You know that something is not sitting right with you, but for whatever reason... <laughs> You like override the system and say, oh, you know, this is nonsense. You know, there's there's nothing wrong. Everything's going to be fine. And then you get into it and you're like, oh, my God. So I'm grateful for having gone through that experience because, you know, you're right. It really helps put things in perspective. And that's what was so funny about us being, um, I I feel like it was very, there was very much kismet there when we uh, ended up rooming together in Atlanta. Because we had chatted a little bit, uh, you know, through the design community, but we hadn't really had a chance to really sit down and talk and how funny it was to me, how similar our lives were and how similar our design businesses were, Um, you know, so it was really neat to be able to sit down and and have that relatability with you. but I think that having gone through that, it does help put things in an overall perspective of, okay, going forward, this is what I am willing and not willing to tolerate. And I think that uh, what was great about the conference was that not only were we at a point to where we knew what we would and wouldn't tolerate, and I think it's also uh, what worth noting is that we were both like, we have this don't give a shit attitude, which I think is great. No, that's really true. And cancer definitely gives you that attitude. <laughs> because I say to myself, even if it's a scary situation, like, what's the worst that can happen? It's not cancer. Right. You know, I have that mentality now. So I'm much more bold to step forward and just go for it. Right. You have nothing to lose. And right. it it really does put things in a a frame in your mind of, you know, is this going to be pure bullshit? Is it worth it to go through the bullshit? Probably not. And then just the, it really puts things in perspective in the sense of like, I have a client who, you know, goes out and buys a Ferrari and, you know, like in his world, that's a really big deal. Everybody's impressed. And like me, I'm like, eh, you know, I don't care. Oh, true. And it really changed my attitude on material possessions. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. It's, that's a whole nother blog. That's a whole nother podcast. But um, I've lost my desire for any of that stuff. Now it's all about experiences. I want to travel. I want to get out there. I want to meet people. I've totally shifted my my thoughts about, about that. And that's why I think, you know, in – the question of why, you know, why does this happen? I really feel like that is the lesson because there's incredible growth that comes out of it. And I feel like the, really the way that I go into situations now, the way that I really think about it is, is this truly going to bring me joy? Is this going to make me happy? Because otherwise, (laughs) why am I doing it? Like, (laughs) so, and I think that the, the attitude of, eh, you know, I could care less. Um, I think really helps you do cut through the bullshit and really get to the heart of the matter. And it also helps you attract the right kind of people into your life. Oh, I, I, I agree with you 100%. That is just so true. Yeah. And I think what's great is that with 
your photography, you can tell that you have a love for nature. And, you know, I, I think we should also point out, like, I was just reading an article the other day that was talking about, I've been doing a lot of um, light research. It's it's more um, just personal growth myself, but I've been doing a lot of research over the last year just on sleep deprivation and how our culture, especially in America, we wear this badge of honor if we don't get sleep because if we don't sleep, we get more you know stuff done. Mm-hmm. And so, um, especially in in big cities like New York and L.A., Silicon Valley, especially, people just cut out sleep to get more stuff done. And one of the things that I found um, really uh, intriguing was um i listened to this podcast his first name is sean i can't remember his last name um, but it's the model health show and he just wrote a book about you know the importance of sleep and how to get the best sleep and he um one of the things that i've talked about for years in my world is getting out into nature and connecting with nature and grounding like putting your feet in the earth and grounding and so i was so excited i was listening to a podcast by sean the other day and he was talking about how he wrote um a a portion of his book about getting outside in nature and grounding and i thought oh hallelujah it's finally becoming mainstream like the world is finally starting to connect with this idea that one it's it's not okay to have sleep debt and to have sleep deprivation but to be able to get out into nature and reconnect and i think that you know that allowed you to really connect and, and get recharged Right. And I think if everybody did that, the sleep, absolutely. I've always gotten a lot of sleep. But if if everybody could get out into nature and just, you know, chill out for a weekend, I think the world would be a much kinder place, you know, and a much happier place. And I think all this sort of contention and anger and negativity and hate that I, that just seems to be out there right now, I think people are overworked, overstressed, you know, not getting enough sleep. And they've detached themselves from the natural world. So if everybody, I think a friend of mine made a comment on one of my photos that I posted on Facebook. She said, if every, if every you know, negative, angry person was given a, a camera instead of a gun, think what a different world this would be. Oh, and what a great line. She's, she's actually a, um, a photography teacher. In, in our area. But she said, I'd love to start a program. She said, if I win the lottery, I'm going to start a program where, you know, gangbangers and, and, you know, these white supremacists. She said, everyone that's really into their armory and their guns, she said, swap a gun for a camera, bring them out into nature. She said it would, it could change the world. And it was like, oh my gosh, that is so true. Well, and they would probably, their idea of getting outside I mean, I would really be intrigued to see the art that would really come out of their photography, right? Because they would probably be capturing, um, especially if you're talking about gangs that are in, you know, the wrong side of town, so to speak. They're probably going to be capturing graffiti and um, old beat up cars and, you know, alleyways, but very artistic ways of viewing their world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's some of the most exciting, you know, when I go, when I've been traveling and I've had the opportunity, you know, you're in the heart of a city. Some of my most exciting photographs are, are things like that. I love photograph, you know, graffiti and decaying buildings. There's such beauty in that if it's looked at and photographed, you know, the correct way with a, with the correct lighting. It's just can be mind blowing to see how that turns into art. 
Yeah, I once went to an exhibition that the photographer did um, like light poles and electrical poles. Mm -hmm. Like uh, out in LA, they were uh, a lot of them were still uh, done in wood, and so he was going around in different cities and taking. And it was amazing, like you know, something so mundane that you would never consider "quote unquote" art, and. Um, he made an entire show out of it and they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. I bet. I bet. So I, one of the things that I love about you is that you do have a blog. I always say, you know, on the show that I always have a soft spot for fellow bloggers because you get it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, there's a lot to it. Um, tell us about your blog and how that came about. Okay, well, originally I started blogging um, only because I think I went to some, you know, two-hour business seminar locally, and the person said, if you have a business, you have to have a blog. So I came home and said, okay, I need to start a blog. (laughs) Didn't know what it was and wasn't really sure what I had to say because I was brand new. You know, it was like my first year in business, and I, I, I... I didn't feel that I had the sort of the background to become an authority on anything. So my blog started off kind of for, as a way for me to continue my learning because I would have to research things before I would blog about them. So I realized as I was going on, I was becoming a more knowledgeable and a better interior designer because if I, had, if I was going to blog about, say, lighting, I would do all of this research that I normally wouldn't know and I'd learn about all different kinds of lighting or if I was blogging about, you know, a historic piece of furniture, I would have to do research. So I kind of enjoyed it because I love learning. So it was, I was blogging and becoming better at blogging as I was becoming better at design and just kind of my blog was growing with me. My blog didn't take on a sort of a focus on color because I'm passionate about color. I love color. So I blogged a lot in the beginning too about color. Um, but then it kind of turned into more things that I found really cool in design. I would be very excited to share that with people. And then it almost turned into like a product and trend. So it's kind of been all over the place. And it, my blog has grown and changed as I've grown and mature and changed as a designer. And now my focus is sort of combining, you know, very, very recently within the last few months, um, I'm incorporating the photography and photography tips, specifically iPhone photography tips, into my blog, how to take better photos with the iPhone. Um, But they're all related to design. So I don't know where the next six months will take me. But right now I'm I'm sort of on this path of combining my two major passions, which is design and photography. Yeah, and I think it's working out well for you. I mean, (laughs) I, I think you've really, really found your groove. Um, when did you start your blog? I started it kind of half-heartedly in 2010, but didn't really do much with it. And then in 2011, I became much more focused and serious about it. And then probably in 2012, I kind of got hooked. And then I really wanted to blog, not because I felt like I had to, had to as a marketing tool, but because I was really enjoying it and I was making friends through blogging. Um, so really from 2012 on, I've been a serious blogger. And how often do you, do you blog a couple of times a week or how often do you blog? I, every Tuesday I do my longer blog and then every other Friday, I, I try to do it every Friday, but realistically it's every other Friday. I have a very short blog called Friday's Photo 
and it's a single image with a really short little description of why I'm posting it. And it's something design related or photography related. Um, and it's funny because people have told me they look forward to my Friday photo because it's so quick. You can look at it in 30 seconds. So two times a week or, you know, definitely once a week and twice a week every 10 days, something like that. And how do you have an editorial calendar or do you fly by the seat of your pants and just come up with a... Oh, no. Yeah, I said, I, you know, I, I publish my blog on, uh, it comes out on Tuesday. So Monday morning, I get up there, sit in front of my computer, stare at the screen and say, okay, what do I want to talk about today? I wish I was organized, but I'm not. I really blog by the seat of my pants. And sometimes I, I really struggle to find a topic. And sometimes I have a couple of topics and I'll jot them down on my calendar going forward. But um, I'm not that organized, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, I would say most of us aren't. Um, you know, typically when I ask this question, you know, there's there's usually one or two answers. It's usually, no, I fly by the seat of my pants. Or it's, you know, I have a very loose editorial calendar, like you said, which, I mean, you know, jotting down ideas on your calendar for things that you want to write in the future is definitely a loose editorial calendar. But um, I find that the super, super big blogs that, you know, uh, create enormous amounts of content usually have an editorial calendar that is like anywhere from six weeks to six months out. Um, I tried an editorial calendar for the first time um, in 2014, and I was to the point to where I was, uh, I had about six weeks worth of content in the can, and it would just be difficult because something would pop up and I wouldn't know how to squeeze it in or where to put it. And so now I run at about two weeks if I can. But it was interesting because when I got the global design post thing, um, I panicked and I was like, well, crap, I haven't been blogging that much because I've been kind of taking the summer off. I'm like, I need to get back into the swing of things. And so I, you know, just took an entire weekend and just started writing. So um, I, I think that there's kind of this tug and pull where you do have these huge flashes of uh, inspiration where you have tons of topics and things to write about. And then you go through these dry spells where you're literally, you know, sitting at the computer going, shit, what am I going to write about today? Right. And that's, you know, when we go to, you know, that's why I do a lot of traveling because if, when I go to a trade show, then I have, I have enough, you know, material to blog for, you know, months because I have, I'll go through my photos and I'll think, oh yeah, I want to blog about that trend and oh yeah, I want to talk about that color and so that'll feed the blog for many, many, many weeks but, you know, after you've kind of exhausted all that, it's like, oh man, I need to either get out to another trade show or go see a show house or, you know, I want to keep it fresh and, and current so I'm always sort of looking ahead, you know, what event can I go to where I'm going to have lots of good blog material. Yeah, the the bloggers tour that we went to in High Point was incredible because we got three days of amazing photography. Like when I got back, I had something like 2,000 photos of, you know, just beautiful accessories and furniture and all kinds of neat stuff. Right. Oh, I know. And I'm still I'm still using those for Friday's photo. Um, so that was a great, I mean, that, I mean, really, I could have stretched that for, you know, for a long, long, long time. But now I'm, you know, thinking already of the October one to go back and, you know, start all over again. Yeah. So you won this incredible trip to Italy when we were at the, the Bloggers Conference in uh, Atlanta this past, I think it was March. 
Linda says to me, we're sitting together at the show, and she says to me, man, that would be really nice to go on that trip. And then she wins a trip to Italy. So tell us about that. Oh, Amanda, it was, you know, that expression, a trip of a lifetime. It really was. You know, the funny thing was, and, and I know that you believe in, in things happen for a reason, and, and, and I do too. And when I got cancer, when I was diagnosed, I remember this so clearly. It was a Friday at 4 o'clock. I'm in bumper-to-bumper traffic coming home. And I'm thinking of all the things that I haven't, hadn't done that I really wanted to do. You know, I, I was in the morbid, you know, I might only have a few months to live kind of mentality at that point. And I thought, I've never been to Italy. And Italy has been on my list of places I've wanted to go forever, literally forever. I said, I want to go to Italy. I want to go to Italy. Yet I had never been. So when I won this trip, I felt like, you know, okay, the universe finally heard me. I felt like I had been been plucked out of, of my life and put in a picture book. Every single place I looked was a photograph. It, I, it was so beautiful. I was like a crazy person. I was, you know, afraid I was going to lose my group because I was like, one more photo, wait, just one more photo. Maybe <laughs> moving on. I was always at the end of the line. I was photographing out of the buses were driving at 50 miles an hour. I was in absolute heaven. I, I was like, like I said, I was a little bit crazy. Um, again, all with the iPhone because it was just so beautiful and so many photo opportunities and um, the art and the architecture and the colors and the light, everything. It was sort of everything of beauty wrapped into one country in one week and just hitting you at, you know, 90 miles an hour nonstop, it, it was almost overwhelming. I, I could have stayed there. I could have stayed in Venice, which we were there for three days. I could have stayed there for a year and probably not have been bored. And so what it was, was it? You, you went for what, 10 days? Or how long did you go for? It was just a week, a full week, and it was called Wine and Design. So half of the trip was wine tasting, and the other half of the trip was design inspiration. So we visited you know, antique stores, and we visited some, you know, private shops, and we had some amazing meals and an amazing experiences in private wineries that the general public wouldn't get. So it was, it was a very, very special, very special trip. Wow. So coming back from that now, how did that influence your business as a whole and how you see things. I mean, you had to have come back so inspired from a trip like that. Oh, I really did. And also that also really kicked me into, you know, even another higher gear that, you know, I, that passion of, of getting back into photography was fueled even more. And I thought, you know what, I just, I love this. I, I can't even express the joy that I had when I came back and was looking at those photos, I just, and, and I can ha I have that same joy here too. So shortly after that, I, I started playing just simple tourist in Boston. And I went, went into Boston and started shooting as, as a tourist with fresh eyes, even though it's my hometown. Um, but I think Italy really reignited the passion that, you know what, I really do love photography and I really do want to make this part of my life. Well, there you have it, folks. You have to go to Italy. If you're feeling like down and out and bored and jaded, you got to go to Italy. <laughs> so what's what's next for you? When are you going to be traveling again? Where are you going? Well, I'm actually going to London in September. <gasps> oh, tell us about that. 
Well, that's through um, Design Hounds, it's called. And it's Veronica Miller is sort of the, the brainchild of Design Hounds. And she owns, she started Modinus. And um, it is going to be six days in London. And we're going to be going to the Decorex. And there's another design show, which I can't think of the name of right now. But it's a 100% design-focused trip. So uh, there will be, you know, it's sort of like High Point, but over in London. So, again, I'm already getting excited about the photography opportunities and uh, the products. It's very, I think it's a very contemporary show, lots of accessories, lots of, you know, young artists showing their, you know, their bespoke furniture and carpets and wallpaper. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I mean, holy cow, you're going to come back so inspired from something like that. Now, what is, I've seen a couple of bloggers talk about what, uh, Modinus is, um, but what what exactly is Modinus? Well, it's it's a website and it's for designers, design enthusiasts, and it she the intent is that it's sort of a one stop uh, website where you can everything from see inspirational photos to purchase products, um, and and designers can upload their portfolio there. And she had I had originally met Veronica. Veronica, because I was invited on a blog tour. I think she was sort of the genius behind these blog tours, where she would get a group of bloggers together, and the sponsors, you know, anywhere from 8 to 15 sponsors, would kick in money to pay for the bloggers to go on a specific design trip. So my first one I was invited to was actually in New York. And we went to um, the IFCC, the ICFF International Contemporary Furniture Fair. Mm. So sponsored, you know, we stayed in a hotel and our food was covered. And our obligation when we returned from this trip, which was three days, was to write a sponsored blog post about our about our sponsors. Um, and I think I had we had nine sponsors on that trip, so that was great for me. I had content for nine specific posts. Then I was invited um, uh, in January of 2014 to go out to Las Vegas to Cabis, which is the kitchen and bath industry show. And we had, I think, 12 sponsors for that trip, mostly kitchen and bath sponsors. But again, for me, it was wonderful. It was lots of, you know, great innovative products that I got to share with my readers. Um, and then I was consequently invited this past January to go to Cabus again, same thing, but different vendors and, um, see the newest introductions and it's, it's really right up my alley because it's combining, you know, learning about new products, being able to combine my photography and then come home and have lots of material from my blog to share with my readers. Yeah. I mean, what a great way, you know through social media, not only Instagram, but also through your blog post to really take us along with you and see all these great places. And, you know, that's what I loved about the bloggers tour in High Point was just the fact that all of us all at the same time um, as a group were feverishly, you know, posting to Instagram and, and taking all these incredible photos. And so all you had to do was follow that hashtag. And like, you were right there with us in real time going along on this tour with us and seeing all the incredible things that we were as we were being introduced to them. Right. And I do that even as a designer, if I'm, if I know that there's like, for example, last October, I was in the middle of chemo. I wasn't at, um, 
uh, high point, I was following along with everybody that was, you know, posting because I, I was just as excited. Oh, I wonder what they're seeing. I want to see what what they love. And everybody comes to design with a different point of view and a different perspective. So it's really fun to see what other designers think are the trends or, or what colors they pick out or, you know, what finish they love. Um, so I was following all of that myself. And I, I, that's what I love the most about social media. You can almost be there if you follow Instagram or Facebook and, and, you know, see what other people are seeing. It's, it's just, it's really fun. Yeah, I agree. It is kind of fun to see other people's perspectives in it because, you know, you'll, you'll go through and, certain designers would be like, oh my gosh, this showroom is amazing and these finishes are amazing. And it would be a showroom that I wouldn't necessarily have gone in. You know, it would have been one where I'd been like, oh, I'll pass it. And then you see their photos and what they're seeing and you're like, hmm, this isn't too bad. Maybe we should go check it out. And it's so true. And even even the same showroom, what I thought was so funny is that when we were on the blog tour, people would post things, like I'd look at it that night after we left the showroom thinking, damn where'd they see that i didn't see that right Yet I, I would post something that they didn't see it was like were we at the same showroom because we all pick up on different things that sort of you know we all go to the different shiny objects that that, that pull us over and are to to make us you know want to photograph something well and what i thought was interesting like i was doing the same thing like i would go back and i would see like uh courtney from french cottage country i think her uh, blog is I would see her perspective and I would think, oh gosh, you know, I wish I would have thought the same thing with that same item. Or I would look at Holly from the English room and, and her, um, the way she would describe something would be so sexy and incredible. And I'd be like, oh my God, I'm totally drawn in and I'm with her. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. So, well, how exciting that you're going to be, uh, going overseas again this fall and being able to, um, what is design like over, uh, like you were able to see a little bit in Italy and now you're about to see it in London. Is it, is it different over there or is the pro- approach to design very similar? Well, I, I can't speak for London and what we saw in Italy was very targeted toward the antiques because Toma, the antique Steva, was um, one of the guides for the trip. So we saw museum quality pieces. And when you talk antiques, you're talking, she'd say, well, you know, this was from the 1400s. It's like, what? You know, <laughs> trees and things that came out of Italian castles. So it was a whole different, you know, completely different what I'm assuming I'm going to see in London, which is going to be super modern, super, you know, cutting edge design. It's just going to be like night and day what I saw in Italy versus what we're going to see in London. And that's a curious point that you brought up. What was that like? Um, something that we've talked about uh, numerous times is just how much our industry has changed and shifted. Um, there's a lot of shows that are on television that display design in a certain way that's false. You know, the budgets especially are always false, but it's entertainment. So what was that like to be able to see like true one-of-a-kind antiques that are close to being priceless? Um, and knowing that there are people probably over there and even here that purchase those for their homes, you know, and willing to spend or invest in pieces like that. It, you know what? It It's such another world for people that are that have that history. And it's so ingrained in the Italian culture. And a lot of these, 
you know, shops, they get these things from, from like family members or friends of family members because they are coming out of homes that have been owned by the same family for, you know, 300, 400 years. And they use their antiques. And for, for me, it was almost like reverence, like you're walking into a temple, especially this one place we went, you know, it was like you didn't want to touch anything. These are really priceless things. But I have such an appreciation for them. And I could just imagine having something like this, say, in a not super contemporary, but in a more contemporary home where it would be the statement piece, especially one of these beautiful, you know, maybe tapestry hanging over your sofa in your mid-century room. Or I could, everything I looked at, I could see how it could be incorporated in somebody's home if you had that budget for it. It was, I had never seen antiques like that unless I go to a museum, but it was a shop. Everything was for sale. So it was, it was eye-opening. There are no stores at least in my area, comparable to this. I'm sure in New York there are, but this was a, a really unique experience going to a few of these places. And you're right. They do mix well. Susan Kassler is a designer that does that brilliantly. She always mixes in. And Bunny Williams, um, they're known for mixing in antiques. And, uh, you know, it's there's something to be said for somebody who can appreciate, um, get past the price of an antique, but really appreciate an antique because it adds such a warmth and depth to a room that, you know, a, a, a piece that's mass-produced, you know, today, it just, it doesn't have the same value. It doesn't have the same look to it. Right. And I think, you know, you talked about these shows on TV. You know, the thing about those rooms is they all look the same. They're all formulaic. They look canned. And, you know, the one thing about them is they have zero personality. I look at them and I say, I have no clue who lives here. But what Antiques does, it gives a sense of who, who are you? Why did you pick that? You know, is it is it a, a beautiful table? Is it a beautiful carpet? It brings warmth and patina and personality to the room. And I love mixing antiques in, in rooms. And you don't see a lot of that on, on Pinterest or on TV with these rooms that are, you know, just they all kind of look homogenous. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely like rooms that have more of a of a, a history to them or I want to know the story of that look at that cool chest where did you get that where did that come from and it's even more special if there's a true story to it oh you know my grandfather brought this over from Italy when he arrived at the turn of the century all of a sudden I, I that that room has come to life for me with that you know with that the grandfather's story over you know in the corner related to that chest yeah, I did a, a design for a gal many years ago, about five years ago, and she was not religious. She was she would always say that she was more spiritual, but she had a collection of Bibles, and her great-grandfather was a priest, and um, he had all these notes in these Bibles. They were various Bibles that he used for his sermons, and so there were all these beautiful, and he had beautiful handwriting, but all these notes in these Bibles, and they were worn and well used, and she said, you know, I'm pretty contemporary I'm, I'm not really a, a traditional um, aesthetic but I these have to be in this room and I loved that because there was a story behind it mm, my favorite thing absolutely my favorite thing and that's one of the first questions when I'm talking to a new client that I ask do you have you know 
antiques or do you have artwork or what is important to you or you know what can we incorporate in this room travel even current things you know memorabilia from their travels have more meaning than something you just run out to the big box store and fill your cart with a bunch of tchotchkes made in china that are going to end up in the yard sale in two years don't put that in the room you know put in things that have real meaning to you so that's what I think is important to stress. I agree. Everything I, I've been, and I actually said it to uh, Esther, the one who wrote the um, post uh, about the twenty-five bloggers, is that um, she asked one of the, you know, what was something that disappointed us about the design industry, and and that was one of them. I I told her I said everything has become so homogenous and. Um, there's this sense of urgency where I decorate a room and I have to have it completely finished. And so I'm going to um, not invest a lot of money because I want to hurry up and get everything done right now. And the quality is not important. I just want it done. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of the mentality today with wanting it yesterday. You know, we, we want instant gratification um, which is kind of a double-edged sword for designers because you know we ultimately would love to photograph the rooms, but these rooms that are slowly evolving as they should, you know, it's it's hard to photograph them with, when they're. You know, it's impossible to photograph them if they're not complete. And oftentimes, the the cherished accessories take years, especially if it's a young couple. To um, curate, yeah, you're right. Exactly. So sometimes we have to bring in things you know, just to kind of like for the photo, you know, which is what stylist does every day. And then out they go. And then, okay, now you go off on your own and within the next few years of your travels or whatever, start collecting things. Well, and there's definitely an appreciation. I'm working with a client now who has a great appreciation for um, luxury and the finer things and things made of quality and she said I am an adult now I am not a kid I don't want to be shopping at rooms to go I don't want shit from Ikea like I'm an adult I work really hard so I deserve to have a beautiful home with quality goods and so we've been curating and so one of the things that I love is that like her table and her entryway she invested a small fortune into it but it makes the room and one of the things that she loved about it is is it's an heirloom piece like this is a piece that she can hand down to her daughter and probably her daughter can hand it down to her daughter and so she loves that there's a piece of history that can be it creates kind of a legacy for her that she invested in um mm -hmm. and she said you know i've been there i've i've done the mad dash to the furniture store and bought a bunch of crap that ended up in the yard sale and I'm over it. I'm an adult now. I want beautiful things. I want to surround myself with beautiful things and I want to be able to sit on my $5,000 sofa and know that I worked hard and I deserve it and, you know, it's the best damn, you know, sofa that I've ever had. Right. So, I mean, there's definitely an appreciation for that. So, how cool for you to see that. Yeah. And there's that ex that famous, you know, that famous line, thinking of your client, um, invest in the best you can and you only cry once. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so true. But, you know, it's I see it in my own life. Like I I cannot do what a lot of my clients do. I can't go out and invest $35,000 to redo a room. However, I do have a great appreciation for quality. And so mm -hmm. now when I buy things, whether it's linens to a sofa, I will save up and I will wait 
so that I can have the $600 linens or I can have the $5,000 sofa because it's worth it to me to know that I buy quality. Like the sofa that I have now, I bought 10 years ago and I paid, I think it was $4,800 for it. And it's a great sofa. I love the sofa and it was worth every penny because 10 years later, it still looks great. It still has a great sit to it. And I know that if I had cheaped out and bought like a inexpensive one from say Pottery Barn or something, I probably wouldn't still have it. And I would have been left disappointed. Right. No, it's so true. So true. Well, Linda, we are up on an hour here. I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. If people are interested in learning more about you or following your kick-ass Instagram account, how can they find you? Um, I am L, as in Linda, Holt, H-O-L-T, Interiors. And that's for um, Instagram and Twitter. So L Holt Interiors. And my blog is my right from my website, and it's Linda Holt Interiors. And be sure to stalk her because it's amazing. You'll be totally inspired. You'll want it'll make you want to go outside and hug a tree. <laughs> well, you're very kind, Amanda. I thank you so much. And this was fun chatting with you today. So thank you again for inviting me on. Yeah, I'm so glad that I was able to have you on and, and talk about all this. I love talking shop with other designers and other bloggers. Wasn't that such a great interview? When I asked Linda to come on, she immediately said, yes, of course. And then she followed up with, well, what am I going to say? What if it's not interesting? And I have to laugh because I think that her message is so incredibly valuable for all of us. And that is to get outside, avoid stress, and have dinner with friends. It's as easy as that, right? Like, stop worrying about all the metrics. Get clear on your strengths and follow your joy. It's as simple as that. Because, really, if life doesn't bring you those things, then why the hell are you doing it? Seems so simple, right? And yet most of us don't do it. I'm your host, Amanda, and I want to thank you for listening today. If you have questions or comments, be sure to email us at info at gatesinteriordesign.com. You can also find me on social media. I'm pretty much everywhere. You can find me at the Amanda Gates. Bye for now. <laughs>